Um, if you're here tonight for the first time, or maybe you've kind of not been to church for a wee while, um, we're at the minute looking at the big story of the Bible, and this series came about because whenever I arrived at Ravenhill a number of years ago, I thought that I would do the big story of the Bible in three to five years. Um, coronavirus hit, and so that was impossible, and so we've ended up doing the big story of the Bible in nine weeks, uh, and tonight we're at week eight. And tonight I'm going to try to do something which, even for me, is going to be a bit of a stretch. I'm going to try to help you understand what almost all of the New Testament is about in about 20 minutes. Okay, that's the plan. We're going to try to cover the whole New Testament, kind of from after the Gospels through to the end of Jude, in about 20 minutes, or maybe even less. Let's see how it goes. Let's pray as we come to do that tonight. Lord, we do thank you that your word is one big, wonderful story that is all about Jesus. I thank you that you've shown us that over these past number of weeks. And Lord, I pray tonight as those living in this world right now, that you would speak to us tonight as we look at what the New Testament is all about. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the New Testament, I'm going to argue, is about three things. Once you get past the Gospels, into Acts, the whole way to the end of Jude, I would suggest that it is about three things. It's about how we live in the last days. That's the first thing. Now, my guess is that many of you have heard that term last days before, haven't you? We're living in the last days. And very often, whenever people hear that, they, they think of the imminent return of Jesus. You know, it's like the, the clock is one minute to midnight and Jesus is coming back and now we're living in the last days. But we have actually been living in the last days for 2,000 years. Because in the Bible, the last days starts whenever Jesus ascends into heaven and it finishes when he comes back. So far, the last days have been around 2,000 years. And this is what the New Testament is all about. It's how you and I, as God's people, live in the last days. It's how we live between right now and Jesus comes back again. It's also about how we live in the age of the Spirit. You see, in these last days, we are at a unique point in the history of God's world. We're in a place where God has poured out his Holy Spirit. Where God's Spirit lives with us, wherever we go, the Spirit is with us. And the Spirit is active and moving in the world to bring people to faith in Christ. And so it's how we live at this unique time where the Spirit is at work, drawing men and women and boys and girls into the kingdom of God. And this is also the New Testament. It's how we live in the age of the church. One of the most wonderful and amazing things that God has done is that he has established a church, a community of people, a congregation. All over the world, God has established local communities, but he's also established this one large worldwide community of people who live for Jesus. And it's how we live as the church. That is also what the New Testament is all about. It's about how you and I are to relate to each other. It's about what you and I are meant to do as a team of people. So it's about those three things, how we live in the last days, how we live in the age of the Spirit, and how we live in the age of the church. I think that's pretty much sums up what the New Testament is all about. But I'm going to suggest then that there are three very specific things 
that the New Testament is calling us to do. Three things, three big overarching themes that the whole of the New Testament is really calling us as Christians to do in these last days, in the age of the Spirit, in the age of the church. And tonight we're going to focus on those three things. And my prayer for this talk is that God will take one of these things and that he will give you a passion for it. It's that he will take one of these things and, and he will give you a desire to live it out in your everyday life. So what are these three things? Well, the first thing that we're called to do as Christians living in these last days, in the age of the Spirit, in the age of the church, is to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. In some ways, tonight's sermon was pretty badly timed (laughs) because in the mornings, we're going through the book of Acts. And this is one of the main points from the New Testament, and we start to see it in the book of Acts, and it's that you and I as Christians are called to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. I hope you've noticed as we've gone through the big story of the Bible that it's all about Jesus. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed as we've traveled through from Genesis to to getting to Jesus last week, have you noticed how the whole of the Bible, the Old Testament, is anticipating him? Do you remember? God created this world and it was wonderful and then it was broken and then there was the promise of the rescuer and then Jesus is the rescuer. And then the covenant was given to Abraham. There was one going to come through whom the whole world could be blessed. And that one was Jesus. And then the promise, it was given to David that there would be a king who would reign forever. And that king, it was Jesus. The whole Old Testament was anticipating this Messiah, this rescuer, this king coming. And then he comes and we saw that last week in the Gospels. But now our job is to tell other people about him. It's to be witnesses to Jesus Christ, the one whom through people can be blessed and brought into a relationship with God, the one through whom people can have their sins forgiven and a new start, the one through whom people can be transformed and given a new life. It's our job, folks, to tell people about him. It's our job to share the message. But maybe you're here tonight and you think, well, Marty, how might we do that? I mean, I, I know that that's our job, but, but how might we do that? And what exactly is the message? How, how can we convey the message that, that we've heard over the past number of weeks? Well, tonight I hope I'm, I'm going to be able to help you with that. I'd like you to turn on to the back of your sheet. Uh, and if you have a little look up here, um, what I've got up there is, is a brilliant outline of the message that you could share with someone if you want to share with them the gospel. And again, these are little pictures that you could draw if you wanted to explain it. This is a tool called Two Ways to Live. And it starts off with Genesis chapter 1, in a sense. God, it says, is the loving ruler of the world. There it is. There's that crown. He made the world and he made us as rulers of the world under him. That's the beginning point of this message. And then we move on to the second part and we come to to Genesis chapter 3, which we covered already, haven't we? We all reject the ruler God by trying to run life our own way without him, but we fail to rule ourselves or our society or the world. There's the fall and it's brought into our own personal lives. And then we can talk about the the consequences of the fall and that's that next picture. God will not let us rebel forever. God's punishment for rebellion is death and judgment. 
Now this all sounds like really bad news. We're meant to be sharing good news, but sometimes to, to really help people get the good news, we've got to explain the bad news so they can see why the good news is so good. But then we come on to our fourth little picture. Because of his love, God sent his son into the world, the man Jesus Christ. He always lived perfectly under God's rule, yet by dying in our place, he took the punishment and brought forgiveness. And then what we saw last week, God raised Jesus to life again as the ruler of the world. Jesus has conquered death and now gives life and will return one day to judge. Five little pictures that really get across the message. But then we're to tell people that there is a choice. And if you were here this morning, I think we heard that choice very clearly. The choice is, there are, there are two choices. The one is to reject our ruler, to try to run our life our way, and the result of that is being condemned by God and facing death and judgment. That's choice number one. But there is a wonderful, amazing second choice. As the text says there, it's to submit to Jesus as our ruler, to rely on his death and resurrection, and the result is to be forgiven by God and given eternal life. Folks, this, these five pictures, now you, you might want to change things slightly, you might want to add more, you might want to bring scriptures in, but in a sense, this is the message. This is the message that, that we're to share with the world. This is the truth. This is the gospel. And that's our job. In these last days, our job is to share the gospel. Our job is to, to share the gospel and trust God to bring people into his family and into his kingdom. In the New Testament, that's what we see over and over and over again. We see that we're called to be witnesses. And like I said a few Sundays ago when we started the book of Acts, that's my hope as we study Acts in the mornings, that we get that, that we're enthused by that. And not only that, that we then go and we, we start to tell people about Jesus. But here's a question. What is the goal? What is the, the goal of evangelism? We're called to tell people about Jesus, but what is the goal? What would you answer that question? I think for a long time, for me, I would have answered that question. Is that the goal is conversion. The goal is converts. It's that people, you know, kind of say the prayer and they receive forgiveness. That's the goal. It's that they convert to Christ. It's that they, they're converted. Kind of language like that. That would have been the language that I naturally would have used. And, and in one sense, that is right. That is right. In, in one sense, that is part of the goal. We want to see people repent and turn to Christ. But that is not the end goal. That is not the end goal. So what is the end goal according to the New Testament? Well, it's not just that people are converted to Christ, but it's that they become disciples of Christ. It's really interesting, isn't it, in, in the great commission that Jesus gives that, that Scott read for us? What did Jesus say? He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. We're to go and we are to make disciples. 
And that's the second thing we see in the New Testament. If you have a look at the, the little um, Bible timeline there on the right-hand side, what you'll see is that almost all of the letters in the New Testament, apart from Acts and apart from Revelation, they're either written to church leaders who are leading churches or they're written directly to churches. And whenever you open these letters and whenever you read them, they're full of instructions, they're full of guidance, they're full of wisdom. And the whole point of all of that guidance, what's the whole point of it? What's the whole point of the instruction? It's to help people be disciples of Jesus. It's to help them not just believe in Jesus, but to live for Jesus. The whole point of telling people about Christ is not just so they get a ticket to heaven, but so that they actually live as representatives of Jesus Christ every day of their life, in their workplace, in their school, in their university, wherever they go. The church, us, you and I, we are called to make disciples. Again, if you turn to the the back of your sheet, There's just a few things I think are really helpful as we try to think about what that means. So what is it? What is making disciples? Well, very simply, I would argue that that making disciples is simply helping people to follow Jesus. It's nothing complicated. It's nothing complex. To make disciples is simply to help people to follow Jesus, to help people obey him, to help people live his way. That is really, really simply at at the most basic level what it means to make disciples. And how do we do that? How do we make disciples? Suppose someone uh, comes to faith in Christ. Okay, suppose they are converted. We, we do some outreach in the community uh, and someone becomes a Christian. They, they declare their faith in Jesus. What do we then do to help them live for Jesus? Or let's say there's someone in the church and they're a new Christian and they've maybe been around for a while, how do we actually help them to, to, to follow Jesus? What do we do? Well, there are lots of things we could do, but tonight I'm just going to suggest three things. And the reason I'm suggesting these three things is because anyone can do these. You can do these things in the life of someone else. You can help someone follow Jesus. I want you to see that these things are are not beyond any of us. So what are they? Well, the first thing that we can do to help people follow Jesus is to teach them. To to teach them the things that Jesus says. To teach them how Jesus calls them to live. That's what Jesus says, isn't it? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. If you want to make disciples tonight, one of the best ways to do it is to sit down with someone and to open up the New Testament and to read it with them, and to look at how Jesus calls us to live, and then to have a conversation about what that might look like. It might be to open up one of the letters in the New Testament, written to the churches, written to Christians, and and simply to start reading through it, and to, to start talking about what it might look like to live that out. To disciple someone, it's not very difficult. It's simply looking at the New Testament together at the commands of Christ, at the teachings of the apostles, and it's trying to work out how to live that out. Another even easier thing that we can do to make disciples is simply to model following Jesus, to let people into your lives, to to bring them along with us as we do life 
to let them into your homes, to eat with us, to, to spend time with them doing normal things. And as they do that, amazingly, they will begin to be discipled. As they see you living for Jesus, they will learn from your example. I've seen this uh, in my own life. I became a Christian at university and uh, I, I really knew very little about what it meant to live for Jesus. Uh, and the pastor of my church and his wife, do you know what they did? They had this open home policy. It was mad <laughs> because we were all students and we all wanted to go to somebody's house because it was warm. Uh, and every night of the week, people would just arrive at their doorstep. They'd just arrive and you'd go in and they could be putting the kids to bed. They could be making food. They could be doing all sorts of stuff. They just kind of lived their own home life and they just invited us in. And it was incredible because from being with them, I saw what it looked like for a husband and wife to be a Christian husband and wife. I saw what it looked like for a Christian husband and wife to argue <laughs> and also to argue in a way that was glorifying to Jesus. I heard them speak. I heard them look after their children and, and I just watched them in their home environment where they were just being completely themselves. And just watching that for me was one of the most amazing things in my discipleship. If you have someone that you could disciple, maybe you have a, a friend who's a new Christian or maybe you have a friend who's an older Christian but who would like to be discipled, why not just invite them into your life? Just start doing some normal everyday things with them and they will, they will see from your example what it looks like to follow Jesus. By the way, none of us are perfect. <laughs> so they'll also see your flaws. They'll see your repentance. They'll see your asking for forgiveness. They'll see you mess it up. And do you know what? Ironically, that will also be an encouragement to them. We're called to make disciples. And again, in the New Testament, that's what we see, don't we? We, we see Paul, for example, taking John Mark alongside with him in the, in the later parts of Acts. We see these men inviting other men into their life and saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. We're called to make disciples by modeling for people. And then a third way that we're, we're called to make disciples is by correcting people. One of the things that whenever you're a new Christian is that you, you just get stuff wrong and it's not on purpose. You just don't know about it. You've never seen it in the Bible before. You've never come across it. It's not on your radar. And so what we're to do to make disciples is sometimes we're to correct people. Now, I'm not suggesting that you go and correct everyone for everything. They might take quite big offense at that. But if there's someone who, who you are discipling, someone who you have that relationship with, someone who said to you, will you help me follow Jesus, then in that type of relationship, there is that permission to correct them to point them to the scripture, to where maybe they're going wrong in a certain way and to, to help them figure out how to repent and to go right. Folks, can you see that this is not the job of professionals like me? This is not even difficult. This is really, really simple. And I really want to encourage you as individuals of this congregation to be those who make disciples. Do you have someone in your life who you could encourage, who you could get alongside, who you could help to follow Jesus? Or maybe you're here tonight and you're actually someone who would like some help to follow Jesus. Maybe you're new to the faith or maybe you just feel a bit stagnant and a bit stuck. 
and, and you want to go on with Jesus and you want to follow him, if that's you tonight, why not speak to someone who you trust and say, will you help me walk and live this life for Christ? Let me tell you, discipling someone is one of the, the greatest privileges there is. And being discipled is also one of the greatest privileges there is. Um, I got a, my first job out of university as a youth worker in Hotham Malahide Presbyterian Church. And it was wonderful because the minister there, he discipled me. He taught me. He modeled for me. He corrected me. And it was one of the greatest and most foundational things that has ever happened to me. It has shaped me more than probably anything else in my Christian life. He taught me doctrine, things that are true about God that, that he, he always enforced in my real life. And those things have stuck with me and helped me to keep following Christ. Being discipled, it's not something you do because you're weak. <laughs> it's not something you do because you, you know, you're, you're, you're a baby Christian. It's something you do because it's a privilege to be discipled and because it's what we're called to be. We're called to be disciples. Folks, I hope tonight that maybe some of you are encouraged to do that, that some of you are encouraged to, to, be, to, to make disciples. But the last thing then that we see in the Scriptures in the New Testament is that we're not just called to, to make disciples, but we're also called to be disciples. We're called to be disciples of Jesus. I um, would have normally classed myself as a Christian when I became a follower of Christ. I would have said, yes, I'm, I'm a Christian. And, and that was really helpful because it kind of put out there what I am. I'm someone who's a Christian. That's that kind of religious term that people understand. But you see now, although I do kind of identify as that and would say that to people because they might not understand, what, what I actually think of myself as being is a disciple of Jesus. In my mind, I am a follower of Christ. That's who I'm called to be. Above being a minister, I'm called to be a disciple. And that, my friends, is the, another big message of the New Testament. We are called to be disciples. And again, if you look at the back of your sheet, let me just give you a few pointers of, of what that looks like. Again, if you're someone who feels stagnant tonight, you feel stuck, you feel like you're making no progress in your discipleship of Jesus, maybe as I outline what it means to, to live it as a disciple very quickly, maybe this will help some of you tonight. It starts off with listening and learning from Jesus. Do you know what disciple means? It simply means learner. That's all it means. All of us are big learners. Sometimes when you do that, it means loser, my son was telling me. Um, but, but I like that big L, it's learner. We're all learners. All of us, no matter what age we are or stage we are, we're all learners. And the person that we're learning from is meant to be Jesus. And to learn from someone, you've got to listen to them, don't you? To learn from someone, you have to take time and spend time hearing from them. And so to, to be a disciple, that's the starting point, to listen to Jesus and to learn from him. And then whenever we've listened and we've learned, there's going to be some things that we're going to need to change. When we listen to Jesus and we really hear him, we're going to find that there are some things in our lives that need to change. 
It's always challenging to listen to Jesus. Always challenging. And so whenever we listen to him and we need to change, then we, we have to repent. We have to have a change of mind. We have to change our mindset to, I'm going to now turn and I'm going to, li- I'm going to try to live for Jesus rather than myself. I'm going to try to, to live out what he says. I'm going to believe what he says. There needs to be a change of mind and a change of direction. So being a disciple, it starts with listening and learning. Then it turns into the repenting. It also is believing, continuing to believe the gospel whenever you fail. Continuing to trust the salvation he's won for you. Not letting the grace of God slip out of your vision as you try to live for him. And then it moves on to obeying. Trying in your everyday life to obey Christ. I wonder when you get ready for work in the morning. Is obeying Christ that day on your radar? I wonder when you get in through the door in the evening and you're with your family and you've had a stressy day at work. Is obeying Christ on your radar? I wonder when you go out with your mates, with your friends and and you socialize, is obeying Christ on your radar? You see, to be a disciple is one who is always trying to obey Jesus wherever we are, whatever we're doing. We're always trying to live his way. And the last little point is repeat. This is the pattern that will last a lifetime. If you're bored as a Christian, if you're bored as a follower of Jesus, my guess, it's not because Jesus is boring. My guess is it's because you've stopped trying to keep following Christ. You've come to a place where you're content, where you're coasting, where it's easy, where you don't want to be challenged and changed. But friend, if you decide tonight that you're going to be a disciple and you decide tonight that you're really going to listen to Christ and you're really going to repent and you're really going to believe and you're really going to obey, I want to encourage you that this is something you can keep doing every single day until the day you die or he returns. The New Testament, it's all about Jesus just like the Old Testament was. It's about telling others about him It's about making disciples of him and it's about being disciples for him. I told you we'd do it pretty quick. So uh, let's pray and then we'll sing our closing hymn. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Jesus and we thank you that in him we find fullness of joy that we find life to the full, that we find eternal life, that we find a transformed life, and that we find life with you that will last now and forever. Lord, sometimes you know that we get so busy with work or with family or with socializing or with other projects that sometimes we can forget the very simple things that we are called to do in this age of the Spirit, in this last days, in this time of the church. Father, I pray that as we walk out the doors tonight, that you would impress these things upon our hearts, that we are called in these days to be witnesses for Jesus, that we're called to make disciples of Jesus, and that we are called to be his followers in the spheres and in the world in which we live. Father, I pray tonight for anyone sitting here who feels stagnant, 
who just feels like they're coasting, who feels like they're making no progress, who maybe even feels a little bored of being a Christian. Oh Lord, would you stir them to be followers who are faithful tonight? Father, I pray that if they need someone in their life to encourage them and to get alongside them and to motivate them and to correct them and to model for them and to teach them that you would give them the boldness and the encouragement to ask someone to do that. And Father, I pray tonight for those who are here who are older saints, who have walked the path of discipleship for many decades. I pray, Lord, tonight that you would stir them to get alongside those who've not been going as long as them and to encourage them and to model for them and to teach them and to correct them and to help those of us who are younger to keep following Jesus. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you for the privilege it is to be one of your people. Help us to point others to you and to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.